her childhood might have led her to the likes of Tony Mockbell. When she lost one partner to you know, the vagaries of law and order, she'd bob up with another one. And she also gave the AFP the slip while she was in Rome. I'm Andrew Rule. This week, we're starting the first of a number of stories about gangland women. I'm joined by senior crime writer Annie Dowsley and Sunday Herald Sun deputy editor Katie Bice. Andrew Rule, Danielle Maguire, a very interesting person in Melbourne's underworld, very glamorous. Yes. Knew all the players that she needed to know. She did. Uh, had a number of partners during the period of the gangland war and beyond. She did. And uh, often people with a fair bit of money at the time. Do you think that was the attraction? I'm not suggesting that altogether, but it's interesting. I think she's a very resilient person. She had resilience, which is something we now teach school children. And when she lost one partner to, you know, the vagaries of law and order, she'd bob up with another one. I think her childhood might have led her to the likes of Tony Mockbell. Yeah. Um, Toby Mitchell. Yep. And uh, possibly Mark Moran, although she told me that that wasn't true. Do you believe that, though, that Mark and Danielle were together? Because it's often been said as a statement of fact that they were, were, and there was rumours even that Danielle's eldest child was fathered by Mark, but she tells a different story, doesn't she? I met Danielle in her Hollywood hair studio in uh, South Yarra. Um, I'd approached her twice, the second time or the third time. I went in after two knockbacks. I went in and um, she uh, took me into a uh, kind of a back room of the place and uh, Mockbell was on the run at this point and I asked her a couple of questions about where he might be. She said she was happy that he wasn't uh, like a rat in a cage. She said you can't help who you love. Um, I asked her about Mark Moran and she said she had not had a relationship with him. Now, do you think someone would lie to me? Not to a face like yours, Dows. <laughs> it, it, it is most likely that she did have a relationship with Mark, but that was obviously over. Uh, she'd moved on after his death, and she'd gone from, I guess, one very highly uh, highly paid or someone making a lot of money to another man who was at the top of his game in the drug business. You mean an unemployed pastry cook? Yes. Oh, cool. Yes, Mark was she, an unemployed pastry cook. And she moved on to a... a, a pizza hand, chef. A pizza chef. Yeah, to a, onto a pizza chef in Mockbell. It's a great country for young people who work hard. They can succeed in all these businesses. The interesting thing is when I did meet her, she would have been travelling back and forth to Bonnie Doon where Mockbell was hiding out for a number of months where she in fact got pregnant to him. The serenity. Um, the serenity of it all. And, um, yeah, she, uh, she, she was relieved. It, it, did, it did indicate that Mockbell was alive, that meeting, because it wasn't as if she was concerned about his health or his well-being. Or and, speaking about him in the past tense. Or, and all those things. And, uh, of course, a later visit, someone uh, sort of said, she's not here and she's not coming back. And then I knew she was off and uh, she was probably off to meet him. And sure enough, she was. She's quite different, isn't she, to the other gangland women we're talking about. You know, Roberta and Wendy, even to some extent, are quite brash and bold and want the attention, everyone look at me, you know, I'm at court today. Whereas Danielle, unless you were meeting her face-to-face, you wouldn't ever hear her speak. No. Um, she was has a quiet way about her when yep. she's in public. Yep. 
I think unlike those two, the, the, the similarity is that she's attracted to the money and attracted to the type of man um, that runs in those circles and, and that would obviously get back to her childhood um, and having people in her life all the way through that were also, her mother was attracted to those kinds of men and um, it's all one big circle. Her mother was also known to a vicious criminal. Her mother was is Joan Madden, yeah. who lives in a unit in West Footscray. Nothing special about it, but um, she had become the um, girlfriend, part-time girlfriend or girlfriend of a man by the name of Rod Collins, who died this year. Yeah, and no great loss. No great loss, Rod. He was a gun for hire and yeah. a ruthless killer and would kill men and women if they happened to be there. Have you spoken to Joan? I have spoken to Joan. And what's your impression of her impression of Rod Collins? Did you get any feel for her feelings for him? She certainly could rely on him because after going around to her place and asking her a couple of questions while Tony Mockbell was in Greece, yeah. she would say that Tony was a better father than um, that the children had have, ever had, um, that she, he was a provider. Little did I know that Rod Collins was her partner, and I didn't even know who Rod Collins was at the time. Right. Until so he, that was an oblique slash against... Yes. Yes, okay. They're not, not all they seen. They've got good qualities, these underworld characters, mm. apparently. And um, it wasn't until I was... The media got wind of... Uh, he'd been captured, Mockbell had been captured, and the media got wind of where Joan Madden was and ended yep. up at her unit. Collins happened to be there, and he approached me. Um, How was that? House. And I had to go and meet him at a car park later that night. Uh, uh, yes. And um, he... Uh, I have had, to say this is a very good story. I've heard it. The fact I've heard it before doesn't harm it. It's a particularly fine story. Well, he, um, he moved me around a bit until it got dark and it was a bit of a drizzly night and he wanted to show me a picture, he said, of Tony Mockbell, Danielle Maguire, who had been on the run with him. Yeah. And um, and their new baby, Renata. Right. Uh, when I got there, he didn't produce any picture. Oh, is that right? No, but he produced a couple of threats. Oh, I see. <laughs> did he produce a weapon at that stage, or did you think it stayed in his jeans in the back? He was wearing a big Und- FUBU jacket. I see. And some loose-fitting pants. I see. And uh, I couldn't set. quite tell what was underneath set. any of it. But it all started a lot earlier than that for young Danielle when she was living in Collingwood. And she had a uh, a unit there, or a flat, where there was a lot of uh, substances found, and that's when she first hit the headlines. Is that the first time she was arrested? So she didn't really get done for shoplifting or, you know, pinching stuff out of cars or whatever. She got done with $800,000 worth of drugs. Is that right? Ecstasy. Ecstasy. Uh, and it was meant to be uh, uh, en route to Mark Moran, uh, an infamous figure, uh, now deceased, killed in 2000, uh, possibly ordered by Carl Williams or, in fact, maybe shot by Carl Williams. Yeah, one or the other. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how she how it came to be known that she uh, she had a partner by the, by, by the name of Mark Moran um, back then. Well, Mark Moran was a dashing crook. Um, he was, of course, Judith Moran's son. His father, his biological father, despite his name, was well-known gunman of the distant past called Les Cole. And Judith had been a bit of a glamour, as they say, in the business back in her day. And she'd been a Channel 9 dancer, a well-known fact. She was also a prolific shoplifter. 
and organised other shoplifters and uh, contributed greatly to um, turning over stolen goods in Melbourne. But she got on very well with uh, crooks and gunmen and fancied them greatly and she had a child with Les Cole and that child was Mark who was always you know, a good-looking sort of glamorous crook in his own way. was a very good footballer, I think, when he was shot dead. Uh, the first headline said, you know... Um, in a Western suburban footballer, shot dead, not not gangster. So he was better known in at some levels as a suburban footballer than as a gangster. But of course, later his true identity became revealed. And of course, Mark Moran and Carl Williams were at one point friends um, before they fell out uh, over a press pill, they pill did. press, I should say. A pill um, press. Yeah, uh, that uh, Carl was using for his own... Uh, for his own product? I think, you know, these are businessmen in a sense, businessmen who probably didn't pay much tax or do um, bass statements, that sort of (laughs) thing. But they would have to, I think, at some point, you know, Carl might have borrowed or hired the pill press from the Moran brothers and was producing pills. And I think the falling out came because, you know, Carl undercut them. They were selling pills for, you know, $16 each and... He was selling them for 11 or something. And that's led to a, a very robust business discussion where a pistol was produced despite an agreement that they weren't to bring guns to this business meeting. A pistol was actually produced by uh, Jason Moran and his brother Mark, I believe, was saying, shoot him in the head, shoot him in the head. But uh, Jason didn't take that advice and he shot Carl in the tummy. And that all occurred in a park? In... Oh, in Gladstone, yeah, and uh, that led to everything that came afterwards, which was more than twenty, true, twenty deaths. It, it did. Um, had Carl been killed that day, probably we would not have seen the gangland war unfold because essentially the gangland war, the one we all talk about, really was a uh, campaign of revenge orchestrated by Carl Williams, who resented being shot in the tummy with a small pistol. I might add that it's a good ad for fast food. Doctors will tell you that fast food will kill you. But Carl's um, taste for Red Rooster and McDonald's and things like that gave him a lot of padding so that when this small bullet entered his belly, it didn't perforate the vital organs, only uh, perforated some rolls of fat. And that meant he... Was, uh, it did a little bit of bleeding and he got a bit sad, but uh, it didn't look like killing him. And quite a 29th birthday present for Carl. It put him off his chocolate cake that his mum had baked. Uh, but um, when they took him to hospital and they found a bullet and called the police in, the police said, how come there's this bullet's in your tummy? He said, I have no idea. He'd obviously given him temporary amnesia. Now, Judy Moran and Daniel Maguire do have something in common other than Mark Moran. One of the things they have in common is that they um, both believed there was money that was missing. And uh, her breakup with Tony Mockbell um, after he was brought back from Greece was over the fact that she thought that there was money to be gotten and she wasn't getting it. And um, she then decided to restrict access to their, uh, to their daughter. Um, so Tony wasn't getting visits and um, she was in the belief that um, she she could get more money out of him um, and there was more there and he wasn't telling her about it. And Judy 
um, what led her to become a convicted uh, murderer was the fact that she thought there was extra money out there and she thought that uh, her brother-in-law, Des Tuppence Moran, had it and uh, she wasn't. She believed she wasn't getting it, so she had him off. Now, after Danielle lost interest in Tony Mockbell, she moved on with a harder man in the form of Toby Mitchell. Yes. Toby is a almost a character that you can't describe because he you can't miss him. He's full of tats. He's not afraid of media. Um, he has his own Instagram page full of shots of himself uh, in all sorts of, um, you know, um, eye-catching poses. Um, but back in 2011 when he was... 2010, 2011, when he began seeing Danielle Maguire, um, he was doing two things. He was he was obviously upsetting Tony Mockbell um, because they were still an item, or so Tony thought. And the other thing was do, he had done, he'd, he upset a uh, uh, another very senior criminal in Melbourne's underworld by the name of Rocco Arrico. And uh, it all it all goes back to a a, a much earlier drug deal in which Mitchell uh, is alleged to have um, bought uh, or, or was got, had suggested he would buy a block of cocaine um, from a man we can only refer to as Witness A. And uh, they agreed to meet in broad daylight at a uh, football oval uh, around the Brunswick area. In this deal, um, this Witness A turns up with a mate and Mitchell turns up and I think he's got a mate. Anyway... There's a meeting in the car. The block of cocaine is produced and um, Witness A says, okay, where's my money? And uh, Mitchell has left a bag underneath a tree in the park. He says, your money's over there and uh, gets out of the car and, uh, and, and leaves. And when Witness A goes to look in the bag, it is full of Ralph magazines. That's it. Old ones. Old Ralph magazines. So it causes all sorts of problems, and they agree to meet again um, after some accusations and uh, counter-accusations that you've stolen the money. Uh, he suggested Witness A had stolen his money. And this is, this is no small deal. It would have been two hundred to $250,000 worth of cocaine. What happens is that they do meet again at the same park. There's a bit of carry-on. Uh, Mitchell um, asks Witness A whether he's carrying a gun. There's a bit of shirt lifting to prove that there's uh, there's no guns on them at that point. Then uh, Mitchell hits Witness A straight in the forehead. A fight ensues. There's other other crims come in and there's a there's a bit of a uh, uh, an affray. And then a shot goes off from uh, another party that comes in and, and lets a zinger go. That ends up in, ultimately, in Mitchell being targeted outside Doherty's gym and being shot at least five times through the body. This is a breakdown in business ethics, isn't it? Is this what happens? It, this is uh, this is no corporate takeover, really. It's 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 more ruthless than anything you'd see on Wall Street. Um, it is, it, it, but it is it's a bit of a sign of the kind of uh, characters and 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 what goes on in the underworld. And what the problem was is because um, uh, Toby Mitchell wasn't really aware that it was. Rocco Arrico's cocaine, um, he didn't know exactly who he was taking on, and that's what led to his almost demise outside Doherty's gym. 
Always wise to know who you're really dealing with. But this is this was also an interesting bit of it because uh, legend goes that uh, Mitchell was skiting uh, about the fact that he had um, taken this cocaine off Rocco's hands and it got back to Rocco and Rocco was not pleased. No. And cue the concerned girlfriend, Danielle, turning up at the hospital to bring him back to health. Well, Mitchell ends up... Um, in a very bad state at the Royal Melbourne Hospital and uh, he's in intensive care for months, I think. And, um, of course, um, we thought at the time that Danielle uh, had moved on from Toby, but um, she was, I guess, concerned enough and, and, and loyal enough. There was enough there for her to be photographed outside the Royal Melbourne Hospital uh, visiting him uh, on more than one occasion, which suggested that uh, there was more to it than just uh, maybe... The, uh, the money side of things. Tell us a little more about Danielle Maguire and where she's ended up in life after her sojourn with uh, all the bad guys. Compared to the last sort of decade more recently, she's gone off the radar to a fair degree. Um, the biggest thing she's been involved in recently was a property development that went sour and was dragged through the Supreme Court repeatedly over a long period of time. It was a big apartment complex and there were all sorts of allegations of money that wasn't paid and money that went, went missing, forged signatures, all sorts of stuff like uh, that. And then other than that, which seemed to be her attempt to maybe make a go of it on her own without the help of a man in her life, um, we haven't heard much of her. The last, I think, you knew of her, Dow, she was back where it all began, at a hairdresser. Back in the hairdressing business, just a different suburb, Port Melbourne. Danielle, when I met her, that was before she, before she had gone on the run, but while Tony was missing, and only missing. We didn't know where he was. And then um, I didn't really speak to her after that because she, she left the country to find him. Yeah. And she also gave the AFP the slip while she was in Rome. Pretty good work, really. So she's no fool, though, Danielle. No, no. You'd be quite a few um, federal police operatives out there trying to follow her. It'd be quite an expensive program, would it not? Involving several people. Yes, absolutely. And um, one lady with big hair, no problem. Too good. Too good. That was the story of Danielle Maguire. Next time... We'll talk about the matriarch of the Melbourne gangland war era, Judith Moran. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.